On today's episode of Heads in the Cloud, John and I are going to be joined by Dave Sobel, the host of the Business of Tech podcast. We're going to talk everything, MSP, vendor, Do the right challenges, thing. coronavirus, yeah. Yeah. Ha- Alexander Hamilton. Stay tuned. Amish Bakeries. We got it all today. Heads in the Cloud with your host, David Portnowitz, Graham Potter, and John Roth. Welcome to today's episode of Heads in the Cloud. I'm David Portnowitz. I'm John Roth. And today we're going to be joined by Dave Sobel, who is the host of the Business of Tech podcast and an all-around interesting dude. Yes, Somebody who spent some time on both sides, both the vendor and the partner side, um, and hosts his own podcast now. So, Which is, what, what, a, what a great job. I mean, well, that's I, all I think you he's do. doing some other things. Well, I mean, but to have that, I mean, that, that, that's that, a cool thing to I do, think yeah. that'd be fun every day. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. Because um, I enjoy our podcast. Yeah. I enjoy be sitting here with you because we just a daily podcast though is a grind, man. He so he, huh? he does a daily podcast, comes out every day, five minutes. That's a grind to do it every single day. It's kind of a trend right now. The New York Times started it with the daily, and then ESPN's gotten into it, and a bunch of others have gotten into this daily podcast. But dude, well, it's I mean, a grind I mean, to do, but to come do, up with news. Do for, people actually listen to all of those podcasts? You oh think? yeah, the New York Times daily podcast is like the, one of the top. Well, ones. we've got. Two guys right here that could do that for us, get all the content. We just do it every day. Oh, yeah. That's so easy for them to just pull all that content. Yeah. Yeah. He's got nothing else going on. Okay. Fred, what do you think? You just Fred? make a easy, deal. Easy Less? As pie. Not, no easy problem, as pie. <laughs> okay. Well, there we go, David. See you tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> all right. Well, Dave, apparently your job's easier. I'm trying to give you a lot more credit, but uh, anyways, John's just. Oh, don't say that. Giving you a hard time. It's all John. It's all it's all, all love here. You know, I'm I'm interested to get Dave's take on, you know, what kind of challenges MSPs are facing today. What he's hearing, um, you know, because he's talking to these folks every day. Yeah. He's coming out with content right. every day on this. Um, I know one of the areas he's focused on too is business ethics and and sort of that. Where does the responsibility lie on the you know what what kind of applications or or products should we be building to help you know just to get you know i I think that's something we've seen uh a few times in some of our podcasts companies that are basically trying to do the right thing we had partner better world on exactly um, a few episodes ago who was as their name states trying to make the world a better place and and that dark damp room in philadelphia (laughs) restaurant remember that (laughs) i I remember yeah so you know i think um I also I want to ask Dave. I think we have to ask Dave about coronavirus too, because that's so, yep. especially in the tech space, is we've seen a ton of conferences get canceled. Um, it's a, it's affecting economy, and uh, it's a, I mean it's it's something that we have to be prepared for. Yeah, and you've got to get your customers prepared for it too. Exactly. And you got to make sure that they understand, you know, what happens if they have to close down their offices, or people have to work remote, or people are can't travel in for meetings, or you know, there's all those kinds of no. situations happening and you have to be able to make sure your customer is ready to deal with those. So I think we should definitely talk to Dave about that as well. I so, agree. Uh, let's give him a call. All right. Let's call him up. All right. Les, yeah. use the phone. Call him, Les. You know Come on. Use the phone for this, right, Dave? Les, use the internet phone. Use the bat phone. It's a, the black one over there. The bat phone? Yeah. The, it's the a, one with the wings. It's, 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 a, it's the black one over there. Upside down. Yeah. John and I are now joined by Dave Sobel, who is the host of the Business of Tech podcast. Dave, 
welcome to the pod. Oh, thanks for having me. We are thrilled to have you on. We're, Absolutely. We're, we were talking about this earlier today. We were really excited to talk to you. Um, just for our listeners, our, our partners, uh, tell us a little bit about you know who you are, what the Business of Tech podcast is, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. And it makes sense when you hear sort of how I've come up through the through our collective channel and industry to, to how I ended up here. So I, I'm always start from the fact that I am a technologist by background, and I'm very proud of the fact that I have a computer science degree. I'm an actual engineer, uh, <laughs> wrote, wrote code and developed products for a period of time before I launched my managed services practice. And I did it managed services before we called it managed services. And I focused on delivering ser IT services to small and mid-sized customers here in the DC metro area. Uh, and it was a great business. And I grew that business over a period of about a decade from just me to you know a fully functioning solution provider, MSP, serving you know, 50 some customers, staff of 15 and, and you know, about a million and million and a half or so of revenue when I sold the business. And I had, it was one of those opportunistic things. I had the chance to sell it and, and a good offer. And so I took it. And then at the time I really said, you know, I love what I do from an education and engagement perspective. I'd done a ton of CompTIA stuff and peer group stuff. And I said, I really want to keep helping solution providers. And the best way I can do that is go learn to be a vendor. So I flipped over and I was on, I, I was a channel chief for, uh, for about eight years at, at multiple names of companies, started out at level platforms and mm -hmm. helped grow that channel program until we sell it to ABG. Then I hopped over to GFI, which we became Logic Now and sold that business to SolarWinds. Uh, so that's, you know, two great successful exits there. And I stayed through SolarWinds about a year post IPO because I wanted to continue to learn and understand what that whole process was. So I felt like I could go from understanding it was a small startup vendor to a mid-sized vendor to one that's been sold to one that's gone IPO. And then after that, uh, you know, that, that was its natural end. And that was sort of late, you know, middle of end of last year. And I said, what do I want to do next? Well, I love helping solution providers. You know what I want to do? I want to start talking about some of the challenging issues that we have in our in our challenge in our community right now. Security and trust and the the PE money that's coming into the space and all of these different issues. I want to address that. The best way I can do that is getting out there. And thus I launched the Business of Tech, which is a 5-minute daily podcast with news and commentary focused on, on teaching solution providers what they need to know and why each and every day. And that's what I do now. Wow, that, that's, that sounds like a fun job. <laughs> it really does. I mean, every day you're on and you get five minutes. How long take you to prepare for each five-minute segment? Yeah, so so to put together like a five-minute show, that's a good hour and a half worth of work every single day, plus all of the regular research that you have to do to keep on top of the industry. So it's, you know, I, I look and say some of the value is the fact that I'm scouring all of the various news sources with the eye of our technology services industry to say, okay, today, what are the ones that matter? And then why do those matter? to put it into context. So yeah, it, it, I'm loving it. I'm having a great fun doing it. And the vision of the way this is go, that it's truly community driven so that it, it's a, you know, community driven and even funded uh, that way. That's the way that the well, whole I mean, model goes. What a job, uh, an hour and 35 minutes a day. Of oh, work, I'm sure he's it? working more than that, John. Give him a little credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's the literal sit down and write it. Yeah. And, and, I, I got you. Uh, and I, record it. Obviously yeah, I'm teasing. Yes. It is good fun. It is good fun. But, but I also think that it's, it's also really 
this is a challenging, interesting time for our industry. We have a lot of, of actual weighty stuff to take on. If you look at the security threats that are happening for service providers, they are a deliberate threat. We've got real pressures coming at us from customers. Uh, you know, the, I covered recently the Secretary of State for, this, uh, for Louisiana, who specifically called out managed services providers and solution providers as the reason his state was so inundated with ransomware. Uh, Why? Why is a, that the case? Dave? Wow. Yeah. So, so he, if you, if you know some of the stories that were coming out of Louisiana, particularly about some of the local municipalities being hit by ransomware, New Orleans itself got hit right pretty bad. Exactly. Yeah. Well, here's the guy who's in charge of dealing with that response. One of the triggers he had to pull was the uh, declaring a state of emergency to help handle that. So he handled it in much the same way he had to handle Katrina. If you if you think about the way that you know his city had to respond to that and his state, so he specifically has had work choice words for solution providers around their lack of preparedness, their overselling on security, the overpromising and under under delivering, and some of the smaller companies that have engaged and been just unable to help, you know, with with delivering on their promises. It's a and this at the same time that we're getting hit by actual cyber criminals targeting small solution providers you know we need to talk about how all this stuff is coming together at the same time it's kind of been a recurring theme on our podcast over the last i would say six months everybody that's come on you know i think one of the main focuses has been on security we had a security expert on i would say maybe i don't know five six episodes ago who basically put it pretty bluntly is like if you don't have the budget for a security plan then you're basically screwing yourself because like you it's it, you're, you have to but it's got to be something that you are budgeting for on an annual basis that you are preparing for a breach and you know how you're going to handle it because it's just going to happen yeah um, exactly you will be breached yeah. everyone will be breached and there are you know it providers there are customers that are still trying to assume you know well i can protect against it or or they take these outdated models and this is what the secretary was criticizing where well i'll do patch management and virus and backup and we'll be fine and it's it's not enough. It's long since proven is not enough, but there is so much more to it than that. So um, mm. you mentioned a couple other top, what, you know, other than security, what are you mentioned the PE money coming in? What are what are some of the other kind of heavier things that MSPs are you, you sort of need to be cognizant of and aware of right now? Yeah, it, one of the things that I also look at is is the struggles of big tech, particularly as they take on the privacy concerns and the inevitable regulation that is coming to our industry based mm -hmm. on the fact that they are so publicly, uh, you know, cause, causing trouble for all of us. Uh, you know, and and that really is, I think, that is more weighty than a lot of us even think about. One of the pieces of data that recently came out, the Pew Research Institute, of course, a, a well-known research organization, understanding public sentiment, did so, has always tracked the understanding of the public's trust of technology and whether or not they view it as a positive or negative on society. In the past four years, since 2016 to now, there's been a 20-point drop in the public sentiment that technology is a positive influence on our society. 20 mm. points in four years. Like, that, that is dramatic for an industry that has traditionally had really good, you know, PR value and sure. really good understanding with our customers. We've fallen pretty far in four years. 
do you and 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 I think sometimes it gets mis you know you if you gets miscategorized like oh it's not us it's it's the Facebooks it's the Twitters it's Googles it's Amazon those are whatever but it, that trickles down right I mean like it just oh, be, yeah I mean just because you're you know they they may be talking about or thinking about these larger you know big you know behemoth companies you know an MSP or for in our case star to star you know we're we're tech companies too and so that sentiment sort of um, while maybe not you know, you may not be the root cause of it. It certainly trickles down to you. Oh, very much so. I mean, for many customers, these are key technologies that they consume every single day, which is their perception of what technology is. If you're getting most of your information from social media, <laughs> from something like a Facebook or a Twitter, that is your perception of the value of the technology. Yep. That's just, that's the reality of it. If you're consuming a ton of stuff off Amazon or even starting to know that you're moving your cloud services into Amazon or Microsoft or Google, these are the same names that are the ones coming up with all of these privacy concerns. It is overly simplistic for people to go, oh, well, that's not us. Yeah, that's part of us too. That's the whole industry. And we have to deal with the fallout of these companies, you know, behaving the way that they are. We could have all super healthy conversations about what to be done about it and how to address it. But the reality is, is look, this is where we're at. The public isn't trusting technology the same way. Big tech is is impacting that. The security threats aren't making it any easier. And we need to start looking at ways to help our customers. And how do we differentiate in this world? Well, tell us, tell us how you would go about uh, driving that up. Let's say you, you've got a year and you say you want to gain five points back. Yeah. How would you do so, that? It, so, so it actually takes, it does take concerted effort. And you have to do things that build trust. Trust exercises, as we know, it's, it's about action more than, more than words. But what, I actually think that there is a really easy, natural way to do this. And it's, it's almost laughably simple when you say it this way, but it's like, stand for something. <laughs> St- standing for something actually does really matter. Like, it, it's one thing to say, oh, you know, oh, we're trustworthy, ethical. Okay, so do it. Like, actually <laughs> implementing that is the important bit. Now, I, you know, I make it sound like super easy. I'm actually going to give people some insight into a way that you can leverage that because it's one thing to say it, doing it's what's really important. If you're not familiar, I would encourage anybody listening to take a look at the contract for the web. And this is at contractfortheweb.org. This is the, the original founders, Tim Berner-Lee and, and the, the founders of the web have come back with some ideas and principles about the way management of information and the technology itself should be done. And they've come up with some nine basic principles, three for governments, three for companies, and three for citizens. And when I look through this and I start thinking about the principles that they've laid out, it is a very specific framework that guides your decision-making. But for any of us in technology services, it's also a framework for having those conversations with your customers and guidance on literal consulting opportunities to help your customers make decisions and implement policies and procedures that make sense for them. The inevitable question I know you guys are going to ask, well, give me an example. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes. So let's, yeah. So let's dive in. If If you look at the companies, if you look at their principle five, respecting and protecting people's privacy and personal data to build online trust. 
Okay, well, that sounds to me like data management, right? Like to, to actually help understand where data is. So diving into the sub principles, give people control over their privacy and rights with clear and meaningful choices to control processes involving their privacy and data. Well, that is called data compliance policies and data management policies. And IT solution providers, you need to have these yourself and you can go into customers and help them design theirs. Or, and, and GDPR uh, and CCPA have made it sort of mandatory at this point. Exactly. So, so if it's mandatory, instead of looking at it from the perspective of, oh, I have to do this, why don't we look and say, we're actually helping customers do the right thing and build trust together <laughs> by going by, by saying, we're going to stand for something and we're going to make sure this is important. Or you know, again, diving in principle five, section three, making privacy and data rights equally available to everyone giving users options to access online content and use services to protect their privacy. That's exactly a framework for the kind of thing you can work with your customers so that they understand, hey, what, what data am I consuming being the, your customer themselves? Like, you know, say they're a law office or a plumber, heating, air conditioning company, or they're a doctor's office. They're consuming a ton of data. Not just looking at it from, a, oh, I have to check the legal checkbox, but no, have I really thought about the data that I'm collecting? Are we collecting just what we need and not too much? Have we made clear decisions about what we stand for on this from this perspective and helping ultimately everybody's customers do right? This is a framework for consulting. It's a framework for engagement and make it a positive rather than a negative. What's the next one? <laughs> See, it's, everyone goes, well, tell me, tell me more. <laughs> it's, it's really, that's really where it goes. And it's, it's kind of interesting because then, then you get, you know, you get into a really lofty one, right? So principle six, develop technologies that support the best in humanity and challenge the worst. Oh God. And you go, wow. oh, wow. wow. That, that sounds really big. That right? sounds lofty. And really, <laughs> lofty. But it's actually kind of interesting because then when, I, when you dig into it, it starts making a little bit more sense. Be accountable for their work through regular reports, including how they are. That's a that's general principles of of good reporting and and the way you engage your employees anyway. Again, great opportunities in terms of like the risk assessments based on use of technology. That's exactly what they want you to be what customers to be digging into. And I look and go, that's a consulting opportunity. <laughs> so a way to work together. Or how about being engaging with all communities in an inclusive way? You know, we talk about the idea of ensuring a diverse workforce. It's good business. I want to sell to everybody. <laughs> I want to be inclusive because I want to make sure that I'm appealing to all the different communities. And so by doing that, I want to make sure that I'm thinking about all of the different consumers, helping customers to do that. Exactly the same idea. Investing in and supporting digital commons, you know, developing open web standards, promoting interoperability, or here's the good one, ensuring that terms of services, interface and channels are accessible and available in local languages. Again, all of this is consulting opportunities, right? It's all areas where we can take this to our customers and say, we're going to help you work on this. But rather than do it just from the, oh, we must do the minimum for compliance, no, we're going to stand for something. <laughs> we're going to actually try and build a better engagement across the board, both have, both us with our customers as solution providers or as vendors, but also help our customers, you know, the end consumers do right by their customers. 
and everybody benefits. It's it's really nice when this kind of lofty achievement, then you can lay it out and go, well, actually, there's practical work to be done here. And if I do all this stuff, I stand out. Well, have you had any feedback uh, based on your podcast when people actually have taken this to the field, to their customers, and implemented? And what kind of feedback have you gotten? So, the, so it's it's interesting because this is these are conversations that I've only you know that I've started in the last you know two or three months. So the feedback has been has been very positive. I'm looking. I really want this to be an active, ongoing conversation and start seeing the people that that implement this. You know, the 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 char- contract for the web was only announced uh, you know late last year. So this is a new framework, and I'm I, I'm well, the reason I'm so intrigued by this and shining a light on it is I'm I'm saying consulting opportunity <laughs> you know <laughs> right. channel right. like right. i i found fa- i found one <laughs> but what's more interesting is is i've been talking to a lot of solution providers and it seems that the ones that are doing really well are the ones that talk about actually standing for something i was talking to one you know just just last week who said you know our company principle is we give a damn you know, and it's and it's a real wow. It's a simple, <laughs> easy way of talking about it, but you can get you can completely understand how they're differentiating and how they're standing out among all of this noise by because people are attracted to that. Actually, I was in an office in, um, let's see, outside of Columbus, and that was uh, part of their mission statement. They had their mission statement on their conference room wall in different segments and it says we give a damn. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it was yeah. just it was just amazing of the things that they they put up on their wall of just little phrases uh that they really took to heart and uh very successful company. Yeah. And because we, we all talk about culture and we talk about it at kind of at a high level but but you have to really implement it. You have to really make it mean something and oftentimes having a framework makes that easier. You know, by saying like, you know, I I want to I want to think about the things that are important to me, but I don't always know where to start. You know, leveraging resources like this makes a lot of sense. It's the same reason why things like the NIST cybersecurity framework are so useful is it gives you a framework and a way to start. It's much harder to talk about these ideas of, you know, standing for something or differentiating based on ethics without a place to start. And so that's why, from my perspective, I'm saying I want to highlight these resources that are available and have these tougher conversations. And I think you, you see that in other industries, too. Right? I, mean, I mean, like it's very prevalent in in sort of the B2C space where companies are advertising or sort of promoting themselves as companies that want to do good. Right. You know, I think the first one I can think of is like Tom's. Right. They had started this this idea of like giving a pair of sunglasses or a pair of shoes or whatever it was to, you know, kids in need or whatever. And then you've seen it in socks and you've seen it in beer. Gla- and you, you, it's sort right. of like proliferated the space. It's like, if you don't have a ethical mission with your, with your retail product, people are like, you know, you should be given back, you know, where I'm not, I, I want to buy from companies that I can feel good about yeah. and like put my head on my pillow at night and feel like, Oh, look, I, I you know, I, I got myself a pair of new shoes, but I also made a difference, right? I also, or at least I like to think I made a difference. So oh, I, totally. think, I think that's really important as it, per, it sort of moves into the, the managed service tech space. Yeah, and there's and there's tons of this these kinds of research and and information that's available. So one of the ones that I love citing uh, is that some researchers did some analysis of here's here you go for the the zinger Amish businesses. Okay, ready, <laughs> and found that 
95% of all Amish businesses survive their first five years as startups and continue on. 95%. Why? Now, the, the, aver yeah, the average is only 50% in the general market. And they actually broke it down into several principles of what, where they made a difference on that. The first is, is they have a very different view of money and the investments. That they're not viewing everything as a, as a perfect, everything must be documented and everything must be so rigid. They actually understand that they're playing for a longer term great example of that is, is one business was being sold to a to a, another couple and they didn't know them as well and they didn't quite have enough money to to close the transaction they were just a little bit short and the you know if you think about that from a traditional business perspective we'd both go oh the deal would fall apart well in the Amish community the seller actually said to the buyer you know you're a little bit short uh, I'm just going to leave $10,000 in the bank account for you to to finish off the transition. You know, when uh, when you can pay me back for that, like when it gets all finished. And wow. and the and the the business trans transitioned. Uh, they were they were jointly invested in its success, and you know did really well. And they they were and they paid them back. And there wasn't this element of you know we're we're coming from a place of distrust. They came from a place of collective trust to try and build something. Or another example of that is is that they actually value doing business with one another locally. And one of the things that, that's interesting about the community is is they value the local. Commit, commitment from a community perspective and it's not just all about price they say you know what we're gonna we might spend a little bit more money but we're gonna do business with people that are local in our community because it's the right thing to do and we need to make sure that we're supporting one another and that commitment to saying you know we are going to invest in our local community makes those businesses better and those are just two of the data points that come from that particular research study i mean isn't that isn't that how ms i mean msps have sort of grown up sort of on you know Traditionally, they don't spend a lot on marketing. You know, they've really, it's really kind of been word of mouth. It's been, yep. you know, sort of, I hate to say this, but that trusted advisor, I know that term gets thrown around a lot, not my favorite term, but, um, you know, in the community and, and they've sort of become like that, that extension of like, oh, I can be your IT savior locally. Um, and yep. that's, and that's really how they built their business. And it is, and it's where true partnerships come together and companies that actually collaborate and, and you see the businesses that do really well or the, some of the ones that potentially join peer groups and yep. they start investing in one another. Like there's a lot of these principles that we see in our own ecosystem here of all the people that we service. What's nice is to say is, is yeah, those principles work. <laughs> like, you know, standing up for something actually can show that it can actually have really positive business effects. So I'm always looking for those those details that we can see from the research from, from the actual examples where it's proven to be right. I think we'd be remiss if I didn't ask a question about sort of the, the hot topic of what's happening right now. But, you know, what are what are you hearing from MSPs or what are you what are you suggesting to MSPs as they deal with coronavirus and and how to deal with that with their customers and, and with themselves as well. I mean, I, I'm sure that's probably been a, a, something on your mind or a recent topic you've been discussing. Yeah, it, it, you know, and it's been it's been a story. I feel like I have to cover every two to three days right now with the <laughs> updates of all the changes yeah. with, yeah. with uh, you know, it, 
the answer is is to be diligent and careful and put it in perspective. So so the first piece I like to say is is, is you know like look we, we have to understand that this is a potential real threat and it is having a having an impact on the on on our marketplace. We are expecting delays in equipment coming out of China. We're expecting you know we are certainly seeing uh, people being more cautious around travel, the impact of tech tech conferences, you know lower economic impact. I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that the current numbers, you know, are certainly lower than both, you know, the common flu deaths in the United States, as well as even issues like homelessness. Uh, more people die of being homeless than die of, of yeah. the flu. So it helps to put it in not, perspective. Yeah. So it's it's not to say that this isn't a, it isn't real because because I definitely don't. But, but I also don't want to I want to be careful that when we ca- talk about it, we're not encouraging panic Mm -hmm. so for example there's been a run on masks in in, uh you know in the in the uh in the retail community first off that's not effective because masks don't actually prevent the spread of the virus Mm -hmm. but more impactful it's actually damaging for the healthcare workers that need those masks and additionally for related businesses like construction workers and painters and such that need the masks for their day-to-day work so what I would encourage people to do is, is this is why we have experts. This is why we have groups like the, the Centers for Disease Control. You should be getting your information from trusted sources that you can make sure that are making intelligent choices about this. I, I think it'd be remiss if we didn't start thinking about what our planning is, particularly from a, you know, from a preparedness perspective. Right. If it's going to impact, you know, we're going to see it in terms of the supply chain is going to be impacted. We know that to be a, to be true. Uh, We know that there are real concerns to be thinking about. There's mental preparation to be made for that. But at the same time, to put it in perspective and make sure that we're not, you know, we can panic to the point of not doing anything or act on bad information. And so my my counsel has always been the, you know, this is a cut twice, measure once kind of thing. Make sure you're doing your homework. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's well said. You know, for us, you know, we look at it and. I think you have to be prepared in the communications collaboration space for having to rem- work, work remotely, having to be able to work from home and, tra- and you know, travel is going to be cut down. So how do you keep those, those sort of uh, lines open or how do you keep the business running if you're not all in the same spot? And I think that's something that we've been thinking about here in terms of, you know, our solution and our partners is, you know, make sure that they, that their customers are set up for, you know, disaster recovery, disaster avoidance type scenarios. And, and these are certain, this certainly falls into that category. Yeah. And, and there's, I mean, and, and you know, and, and you can look and say, this is, this is the opportunity to have those conversations because this is, that's exactly what planning is, is let's understand what the impact might be. What does a remote work scenario work like, look like what would happen, you know, if we need to make sure that everyone is working from home or certain people need to need to be off or out of the office more often or travel doesn't happen. And it does give you the opportunity to experiment. You know, we talk about all of these conferences not happening. This is an opportunity to look at new ways of communicating with customers because this is the time they're very open to that. Um, you know, they're open to changing their pattern because it's ultimately can be really good for everybody from a health perspective. 
And so it's saving I, I, marketing departments across the country thousands of dollars so they don't have to ship <laughs> booth materials. Right. <laughs> Sh- ship all the swag from location to location. Yeah. So I, I sounds a little the, selfish, David. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, but you know, but let's let's know that we're we're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. You yeah, know, is, exactly. is that we're looking at it from from the perspective of we're just trying to do right by customers. It's it's okay to have these these conversations in a again in, in a we're not trying to spark panic. We're trying to have smart conversations about it. And so well, you know, sometimes a little bit of humor goes a long way on that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So speaking of that, so I, I want to hit up before we go. We've been take, we've taken up a lot of your time already. I want to hit up the fact that when I, I where I'm, we can see you on video, you have an unbelievable collection of games and g- gaming systems and computers, <laughs> and I can see a, a what is that a, a, a power glove behind you or. You know what? What do you what do you got back there? What what's your what, like? What's your passion? Are you is this something you're super passionate about? I I'm I'm totally into a bunch of different things. So yes, absolutely. So so video gaming has been part of who I am since I was a kid. Uh, so has you know some of those early computers as well. You got are, a Commodore sixty four back there. I do. I I was I, my first computer was a Commodore sixty four. It wasn't unfortunately this one, but I have my original one twenty eight D still. Wow. Uh, to this day, and I. I've collected a bunch of that stuff over time and, and I like to have it all working. Um, obviously I do, I do videos and I do live streaming and I do podcasting. So I've taken the time to make sure that that stuff's available so that you can see it in some of the videos. <laughs> yep. I've got a power glove. I've got a Nintendo virtual boy. I've got a collection of all working retro gear, much to my wife's chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what, what's the, the chair in the, uh, over to your left. It's like a gaming oh. chair. There's a-, a gaming chair in my office too, so I can slide it around and and you know curl up on on the floor a little bit more at the right eye level for some of the uh, the retro gear okay. on the other side okay. of my office. What's your what's your favorite? Yeah, what's your very video your, game? Yeah, that's a good question, John. Wow, it's so so it always and you can have is- two. You can have one current. And you got to go back and give me your one of your favorite, uh, you know, old, okay. old time. classic, classic. So, I, so I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna tell you three in three different categories. Let me tell you the so my all time must on a on a stuck on a desert island. The only game I get is probably Street Fighter Two. Uh, <laughs> <but>, uh, <laughs> I tend to like the Super Street Fighter Two variant on Super Nintendo for those that are that dorky about it uh, and know where I'm going with that because I just it's such a such a fun pickup game that I've always played it. Uh, my that sounded pretty game... dorky because I have no idea where you're going with that. So that's okay. <laughs> it's a, okay, it's a fight. It's a fighting game. Uh, I do it. Yes. From the past 10 years, I think uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is one that I love. And the premise is so fun. It is uh, Native American tribalism meets robot dinosaurs. Who can't, <laughs> who can't love that idea? No, that's a great, yeah. That's a series, that, I think, getting on Netflix, it is. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's coming, it coming soon. Yeah. And then my current one, the one I'm playing my way through, is the new Star Wars game, the Star Wars oh, Jedi. Oh man, Wars, yeah, that looks super cool. I saw that. Which is which is placed all my favorites. I love a good game with a good story. Uh, so that's that's exactly. So I, I'm cheating a little bit and giving you like my current fave plus two from from all. Well, time. well you know what? I, I feel so old because I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> Those were the older games. I was thinking that no, was Star a, Wars is current. Is it no, no, Star, Star Wars? Star Wars but the Star other Wars two, I have like going. I, I have no, you know. I I wish my son was like. I keep. I always tell my wife this. I have a five year old. Like, I I, keep, I was like, I I wish he was five years older because then I could like rightfully buy 
like a Star Wars game, and like and oh, my I wife would be cool with it. I think you could. But she just would. She just want me playing like a tons of video games. So I have to. I have to figure that. I part think out. you're you're about a year or two away from stuff like Mario. Yes. And, and such being perfect, perfect for your kids. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I got one last question for you. So those are your favorite games out of your collection of stuff. What's your like most cherished or prized possession? It's a. It's. I've got a couple of museum pieces that that are just like the favorite one. The one that if you came over and said, "Show me your kind of coolest, weirdest one," yeah, is I have a working Vectrex, uh, which is that sort of late seventies vector screen, all in one unit. It's kind of rare. Most people haven't seen it. Uh, but the moment you turn it on, it plays Missile Command and Berserk <laughs> and some of these really old games, and it looks gorgeous. Uh, so that's kind of my best wow. museum piece. Very cool. Are you like in chat rooms bidding and auction or like sort of like trying to win this? Because I know there's like a pretty healthy market for that kind of stuff. So I, I do the trolling locally where it's Craigslist <laughs> okay. and a little bit of eBay. And that's kind of a weekend convention thing sometimes. And I don't mind saying that in my channel travels, most cities have a retro video game store. There you go. So, oh, so you might not okay. find me over a lunch break sometimes as I go look for one. That's awesome. Well, Dave, it has been so good to catch up with you today. Hopefully we can have you on again in the future. Um, and uh, yeah, have a great have a great rest of the week and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Bye. What a cool guy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I love looking at just watching behind in that because we could see him yeah. and all the games they had behind him. That was that was awesome. Funny story about that power glove. So I had a power glove when I was a kid because it was very famous from the movie The Wizard with Fred Savage. I don't know if that, yeah, yeah. We traveled like went where did he go like to California or something for like a tournament, and it's power glove became like this big phenomena, and it was like you know like basically like a remote control on your arm, and right. you could push. The thing didn't work. And I was asking Dave about it before. I was like, did you ever get it to work? And he was telling me, no, we no. were kind of chatting about it. He's like, no, you have to like rig it to this and get it to that. But it was like this big Nintendo push where like everyone wanted a power glove. And I think we got one and I, you know, whatever it was, it never worked. It never, it couldn't make it. It was like a piece of junk, <laughs> <laughs> but it looked cool. Well, you know what? I mean, I started about with just uh, on the TV, you had the Atari and you had like tennis, the Pong. Pong. Yeah. Pong. That was it. I mean, I'm sure obviously, you've seen other games. Oh, I have, but I, I I advanced from there, and you know, I got a little bit. Actually, I had a, a solitaire, minesweeper. Yeah, yeah, Mario. Mario, all right. Yeah, went up that level. That was that's about it, really. Yeah, then you I still of... have uh, I still have a Wii, so I play uh, Tiger Woods uh, golf oh, yeah. once in a while. That was a fun game on the Wii. Yeah. The 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 gaming system that I really like is that what is what's the Nintendo one called now? The uh, one that Switch. the Switch. Yeah. That is super cool. Just because like you can play it as like a handheld or you plug it into like your television and it becomes like a, a the whole, you know, whole console system. You could switch. Yeah, you could switch. I just oh, think it's I what, just think that's What a great cool. idea. Um but yeah. Yeah, that what, that was fun. I I, I haven't I, played I, video I haven't played in many, many video games. Well, you're not allowed to. You yeah. said you're well, like I'm not. It's not that I'm you're not allowed. allowed to. Your wife won't let that's you. Not, that's not, I have to oh, choose how I, I spend my free time. I think your wife just Gina. No, 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 won't, no, no. Gina will not she let you. She, there's no like I'm not going to let. But if I'm going to, if I only have an, you know, whatever it is, I'm not going to spend a plane video well, games. Well, I, I know you're not going to say that on air. But <laughs> we, we know, we know where that. You know, that's okay, David. Um, when Dave was talking, I couldn't help but think about. There's a quote from the um, play Hamilton, which is actually an Alexander Hamilton quote. 
where he says, if you, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for everything. Yes. And I think that's yeah. kind of what, um, he's getting at is yes, that, exactly. you know, if you have, if you're this company and you have really no principles or ethics to really that, you know, that at the core of what you do, then, the, then you're kind of going to just get lost. You, you know, you, well, that's, that's kind of where you are as a, as a person as well. Yeah. And, and you know, who wants to do business with the person that has, you know, no ethics yeah. or don't stand for anything. And you've you've got to, you've got to have some core principles to, to, to fall back on. Otherwise, why are, why are people doing business with you in the first place? Exactly. Um, you know, I, I think. I thought it was interesting you talk about the, the Amish and, and 95% uh, in, in business after five years compared to 50%. I thought that was an interesting. 50% because, of the Amish bakeries here in Sarasota could go out of business. I'll be honest with you. The only one needs to stay is Yoder's. Oh, oh, wow. What a take. That's, Hot take. <laughs> wow. Don't, don't, don't cut that. I mean, <laughs> but I think, um, you know, being here in Sarasota, a huge Amish uh, Mennonite, community, yeah. Mennonite community, I think that, um, you know, no, I, 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 went, I went in there and looked at furniture one time yeah. and I'm like, whoa, yeah. that's expensive. Yeah. Uh, Hold but, other level, but it's all but handmade. And it's one handmade of and yeah. it, it would last multiple lifetimes. Yeah. And generations, generations. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like going down to typical furniture store and going okay i'll buy this because it'll last for three and a half you know, years three and a half four years and yeah. fall apart but uh yeah, I, Ikea, I thought that was Ikea's interesting made a and i think it's industry out of that idea. I, 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 well i think it's something that uh it, it says a lot you know just uh you know their integrity yep you know and that's what uh i think dave was talking a lot about that i think it meant a lot to talk about you know going out and doing the right thing stand, yeah, he was stand for about, something he was talking about those sort of internet principles of yeah you know, privacy management, data management, you know, making sure your customers, anybody is, you know, it's accessible to anybody or any race or gender or, you know, whatever their situation might be, you know, you've, you've, you've made the, your, your product or your web page or your application accessible to any group. And he's right. It's good for business too, right? I mean, like the more people that you, that you're accessible for, the more people are going to do business with you. And I think, he also made a point very subtly that it's good to have pe- those viewpoints inside your office too, right? Yeah. It's hard to make your product application site accessible to all different groups if you are not getting the input from all those groups as you're building it. Right. And I think that sometimes gets lost is you have to get in, you have to get voices because like if you're just getting voices from the same kind of person that you are or group of, you know, then, right. then it's, then it's going to be, yeah. It's, it's going to be segmented whether you think it's success. You know, it's sort of like you, it's like a bias. bias. It's, it's a group yeah. census of basically where are we going and what are our principles and yeah. how do we get there. And I think it, in, in a business environment, I think you need to have not just one person's thoughts on this is the way we're going to make it. This yeah. is the way it's going to be. We need to have, you know, it, it's a group effort. And, you know, and keep in mind the customer is a customer is a point. We want to make sure the customers is the, the value of that. All right. I think that's it for today. Okay. What do you think? Uh, let's call it a day. All right. I mean, he only works a... He only works an hour and a half, so if the podcast... An hour and a half yeah. at the most every day. We probably so. just... We added a half hour onto his work day. Probably killing him. <laughs> he's no, probably, we're joking, Dave. We're joking. He's taking a nap right now. <laughs> he's all right. <laughs> all right. Well, for Heads in the Cloud, David Portnowitz. I'm John Roth. We'll catch you next time.